0: Good evening, everybody, and welcome to this special edition of Ignite Radio Live over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio over a gorgeous, crisp fall day with the majestic colors of fall uh, beginning to explode, and I'm often moved in my soul during this season to uh, experience this transformation around us is somewhat of a metaphor of our great Savior's grandeur, a metaphor of the transformation that He wants to take place within us. The beauty that captures us coincides with dying. Uh, the discomforts, the challenges, the sorrow, the difficulty—to see that we're never closer to Christ than in our suffering. We are going to tonight, as it's sherathon week, to uh, share with you uh, the second night of our three-night. Parish Ignition. So what is Parish Ignition? It's a three-night mission. And each night corresponds to a movement of Jesus. Empty, fill, and overflow. The movements of Jesus Christ. And uh, truly, as we've been fashioned in Christ, to recognize that these movements define our lives. That um, we in Jesus are meant to be emptied of our stuff, our junk, to renounce those things. Why? So we can be filled with His grace So much that it doesn't just end there, not just with a Catholic hot tub. You hear us say this a lot. It's not meant to end there or be confined to a couple hours in that place. It's meant to define our lives and overflow into our homes. And so in a special way, if you come tonight asking the question sincerely, Lord, how might our home and our parish become a saint-making machine? How might we become what you call us to be, what you've designed us to be, so this world can know you? so that they can encounter you. And uh, truly, that we, Lord, whom you call to home, whom you call to marriage, might more fully discover this truth that we profess, that we partake of on Sundays, that this Holy Eucharist, this Holy Communion, might more and more flood us, that we might become a holy Community. So, we're delighted to share with you the second night of our presentation of this parish ignition event. And uh, if you're interested in this for your own parish or want to find out more about this live it gathering that uh, we talk about in this, you can find all that out at massimpact.us. Massimpact.us. We are so blessed to be with you here on the second night of parish ignition and i'm just going to uh open again in prayer as we're in this place mindful that we're in the presence of our lord and though it may have been assumed yesterday not stated but certainly as we ended last night with adoration of our lord jesus there's a purpose to that and the purpose is that he's the evangelist he's the one who transforms is so central to us that we are merely sinners Seeking His grace and seeking to open the door to share with you whatever insights we may have. This could just as well be you. And um, I know in a parish it is a wonderful occasion to hear from one another how God is working in your life. That's the whole beauty of community that we become occasions of uh, attunement to the virtue in one another and to encourage one another. So we're here to do that. Be a holy community corresponding to holy communion that we're called to receive. That is our very nature that we partake of. So in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear Lord Jesus, we come before you tonight imperfect, struggling, challenged, but profoundly blessed. We say, yes, Lord, speak to us personally. Awaken us, God, to the call that we can have a corresponding commitment. Lord, in your revelation. Awaken us that we might have the right response, that we might become a holy community corresponding to holy communion. We ask this in your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I grew up most of my life in Wisconsin. I lived there 16 years. At the time, it was most of my life. Now it's not. I guess that age does that to you. Um, Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Oshkosh, Bagosh. Green Bay Packer fan, Brewers. I'm one of six boys and a girl, so very blessed by my experience growing up in Wisconsin. A lot of our debauchery, as anybody's debauchery, is what's accessible to you, and we had a lot of produce. So I'll spare you the details of what young high school kids do with produce, eggs and such. But, uh, you know, all that marked my occasion to see priests often, and um, and our family becoming Catholic and all of that. But anyways, my dad's job, my dad was president of a hospital. I was very blessed to come from a very um, wonderful mom and dad who forged us faith in us. Uh, The short story is um, of six boys, my older brother and other brothers definitely got caught up in the MTV world and lifestyle, fill in the blank. By God's grace, I can say every single one of the seven um, through that season of, of making bad decisions, Every single one is back um, in the faith and seeking God's grace, seeking to live for Him and uh, and form their children in the same way. So, we moved from Wisconsin to after my senior year of high school to Ohio, Cleveland area, and I worked in a restaurant, the Courtyard in Brecksville, Ohio, to make money for college, Miami of Ohio. And I remember working a long shift, and as I'm carrying out these various dishes, and it's a Phenomenal food. I love the food at the courtyard. So I'm taking out steaks, and I'm taking out ribs, and, you know, 5 o'clock p.m. becomes 6, becomes 7, and taking the orders, and I'm hungry. I haven't eaten, I don't think, all day. It was one of those kinds of shifts. And so I'm, I'm obviously my stomach is beginning to notify me that, you know, something is empty, something is missing here. You need to fill me. And it's connecting with these, um, the great food that I'm seeing. And I can't wait to get off because one of the perks of working there is we could get substantially discounted food. And so I'm thinking, man, a steak would just be great. I haven't had a steak in a while. Anyways, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, I'm thinking about that steak. I check out the money. I come up to the front counter where they have the display of all the desserts. I wonder why they do that. Maybe it'll tie into the story. And there is a beauty the likes of which I've never seen before. It's this, can't even describe it. It's a cake that had never been there before. It had like shaves of white chocolate and dark chocolate. And I know I saw I may have to turn to my man card because I like chocolate that much, and to speak of it in almost athletic terms, you know, this cake is just staring at me, and I'm staring at it, and I forgot about the steak that I wanted. So I check out my money. I order, you know, get a piece of this, this cake, and it's quite amazing. And on the way home as I'm driving, my stomach is reminding me that I am not full. It's reminding me that I remain hungry. In fact, maybe even hungrier. And so what's the analogy? Well, it may all come together for you when I say the next day I described to some friends uh, my experience because um, I came home and I had to actually eat something substantial. I said, what was that cake, new cake? You know, nobody told me about this. Usually they tell you the new items and whatever. It's called the Lucifer cake. So, you know, it was attractive to me. It was appealing to the eye. It, it, it distracted me from the real food. I needed. It distracted me from what could possibly fill me. And to this day, it's become kind of a metaphor of my life and people around me's life that we're made for a fulfillment by something, but we're distracted by something else that makes a promise that it does not fulfill. So as we continue to be emptied of ourselves, it's worth asking, what is the fulfillment? What is the food that God calls us to have? Well, my wife and I have lived here with our family for three years. We have come to be friends with an older couple. A very dear couple to us. Um, their family does not live nearby. And uh, I befriended the dad. He likes cribbage, so when I can carve out the time, I go over and I play cribbage with him. And as you know, it's just a delight to just talk. Sometimes we wait 30 minutes before we even get to playing cribbage. Um, I hear about his history. I'm delighted by his past, the hard work that he had to get where he got in life. And by God's grace, he went from really poverty, quite frankly, to being extremely successful business owner and uh, no longer owns his business, but he ended up making a lot of money. And he always shares with me, in addition to his background and history and story and his success and his gratitude to God, he's a daily mass goer. In recent life, he um, really was attuned to God and the food that he needs to eat. But he'd always share with me his lament that his five children, not a single one, is in the faith. Not a single one is in the faith. And in fact, there are some substantial challenges with each child with regard to the faith. And uh, I'm going to call him Pete, okay? So I said, Pete, and I'm always asking him for wisdom, when you reflect on your life, is there anything, I don't know, you lament, you wish you would have done differently. Now, I know in times past, a week earlier, a month earlier, he'd share some of that with me. But for some reason, when I asked him this question, he kind of stopped and he said, you know, I really, really can't really answer that. You know, God has blessed me. And maybe if I hadn't done this, I wouldn't be here or things wouldn't have resulted this way. And I can be bold with my brother Pete also. So I said, well, let me ask you this, because he's very candid about his financial stuff too with me and I'm blessed, by the way, we're a nonprofit that we don't seek a dime from him and we, we don't get a dime from him, nor do we want one. I want it friendship with him, purely friendship. And so I'm really comfortable in this conversation with him. And I said, well, let me ask you this. If you could exchange every dollar you do not need for your children knowing and living for Jesus Christ, would you do it? And I thought I was going to get a. I I thought I knew the answer to the question, but he looked me in the eye after a pause, and he said, I don't think I would. I don't think I would. And I said, but Pete, you you lament your children. I see tears in your eyes. Often you talk about their circumstances. And and he says, well, maybe that's the way it was meant to be. So there's still obviously some conversion that needs to go on there. But before I judged, before you judge, the question kind of came to me. Now I asked him in terms of money, would you exchange every cent that you've been given that you don't even need to survive for their conversion, for their knowing Jesus? And he said, no. What if God came before you and me today and he said, time, the time that you have, that you're not working, that you're not doing the essentials, needing to sleep, add those essentials for survival, okay? Set those aside. Discretionary time. I'm going to make the analogy tight. Would you exchange every second of your discretionary time that your children, your spouse, your family, your community would come to know Jesus Christ more fully?
1: So, powerful story, very challenging, I think, to each of us. And we know the right answer, we know the good thing, but what prevents us from going there? What prevents us from doing it? Why don't, why don't we? Audience participation. What are some reasons why we fall short in regards to discipleship? Selfishness, fear, laziness, Busyness? Embarrassed? Doubts? Oh, very good. Anyone else? Lots of reasons highlighted right here from your responses. You know, sometimes I think also we just become too comfortable. It's so easy and we can pat ourselves on the back very easily when we come to mass, when we go to that alpha group, or when we come to a parish mission, or, you know, fill in the blank with whatever. We just become, Greg likes to use the term, the Catholic hot tub. We're nice and cozy, you know, just where we're at. We're being fed. We're good to go. You know, Liz said laziness. You know, a real lack, I think, for all of us on different levels of discipline, self-discipline. We become complacent in that space. We're so satisfied quite often. And no, when I say we, I mean we. We as a community, we as a couple, we as a church, we just become comfortable in this mediocrity, right? Just good enough. It can look pretty good from the outside, but the Lord knows the inside. So we become this checklist mentality and I think more often than not, especially for faithful Catholics, a real challenge can be when we've emptied ourselves of all the junk very often we think we're filling it with these good things of, you know, that the latest Catholic book or that Great Lighthouse CD or Annunciation Radio, which the Lord can certainly use. But my challenge to us tonight is not to be filled with things, but be filled with the person of Jesus Christ.
0: Were the birthplace of Wendy's. And do you remember the early Wendy's commercials? The little old lady got on the screen, and what was her famous phrase? Three words. Where's the beef? she get that burger, and where's the beef? And you have this minuscule little burger exaggerating the other burger places. Well, I think, honestly, many of us ask, where's the life? Really. And I've heard brothers and sisters who are 60, 70, 80 years old go to Mass regularly, faithfully. And they're like, I don't get it. Where's the life? I still do it because I want to be a good Catholic. I think many families don't pray because when they gather together, it's such a quick recitation. They don't feel the life. If they're really honest, and we want to be really honest, maybe we don't do it because we're not really plugging in. Like the Pirates of the Caribbean. How many of you have seen that? I admit that I did the first one. Well, there's a scene there where these pirates, and this is all I really remember from one of them, is that they remain hungry after eating, they remain thirsty after drinking, they're cursed. Maybe it's the case with many of us Catholics that we're partaking of food like that, but we're not being nourished, we're not receiving it. And so um, to connect us to the life, to connect us to Jesus, we would often do with more time something called the intimacy exercise. I want to describe it for you, and I want you to imagine doing it. We won't make you do it, we don't have the time, but it will hopefully illustrate for you the design God gave us for this life with him that we look forward to prayer, that we look forward to what he wants to do. So I'm going to do three sessions here. I'm going to imagine that I paired you up with somebody you don't know. You didn't, but imagine that I paired you up with somebody you didn't know. And I'm going to say, when I say go, you can't speak, no gestures, it's going to be really awkward, but all you got to do is look at them, which can be kind of weird anyways. You're just looking at somebody. And I'll say go. Okay, you can stop now. And, uh, and then... I'll ask them questions. I say, rate on a scale of zero to 10, your desire to continue that kind of interaction. You know, how much this is awesome. Yeah, let's go another hour doing this, you know. Or is it, you know, it's enough for me. You know, you're a good-looking person and all that, but, you know, had enough. And then rate on a scale of zero to 10, how much that kind of interaction deepened your relationship with that person and deepened your relationship with God. Now, usually I'll get some mystics that'll say eight, nine, ten, you know, like just from looking at somebody, they can intuit, and I'll say, well, we're going to have two more sessions here, but hold on, Smokey. You know, you're going to understand what I'm saying here. I'd have a, you know, a a big tripod here with a sheet, and I'd draw a big outside circle, and I'd just kind of call that frontier. Then we're into the second session. One person remains completely quiet while the other in a minute shares just biographical information. You're sharing your work where you live, where you grew up, you hear the other person share the same thing. And I'll ask again the two questions. Rate your desire to continue that kind of interaction on a scale of 0 to 10. And I'll also ask, rate the degree to which that kind of interaction deepened your relationship with that person and God. And we find out pretty quickly that it's higher than the first time, Right? It's not just looking at somebody. You're getting some kind of communication going on. It's safe communication. But you wouldn't mind going a little longer than, you know, 10 seconds. And you're kind of intuiting a little bit about that person and maybe a sense of even God in that connection. So we had the big circle, the frontier, with just looking at somebody, a circle inside of that, a little more intimate. Then the final one, I say, I'm going to challenge you on this. I want you to dig deep. Think of a time in your life when you encountered a real difficulty and you were broken. may have resulted in tears, anguish, sleepless nights, but in that experience where you knew without a doubt God was in it. Now, I know you don't know this person well, but I want you to have the courage to share that story with them. Bless them by it. Dig deep. Don't hold back. Use discretion. You know, your comfort level, but let's go there. I give them four or five minutes each. Well, I could tell after the first five minutes when I cut them off, the one person listening didn't want him to stop, and the one who was talking didn't want to stop. When I got to the end of the second person sharing for five minutes, in many cases there were tears. In many cases, there was a Wait, you can't stop this. You know, this is awesome. You know, we've got to keep going here. And I'd ask the questions again. Rate your desire to continue that kind of interaction. Rate the degree to which that kind of interaction deepened your relationship with that person and with God. And I'd draw that inner circle. So you have the frontier, the biographical thing, and then the intimacy. Then I would ask some questions. I would ask, what did it take to do that? You all agree that it was the highest desire to continue. Like this merits your time. You would choose to do this. It's deepened your connection to that person and to God. So let's let's unpack this. What did that take? And you'd get words for the interest of time here. I needed to trust. I needed to be vulnerable. I needed to take a risk. I needed to be bold and know that, you know, regardless of how, whether or not they're going to speak to me, the first person, that I needed to set that standard. I needed to commit the time. I'd write down all these things, trust, vulnerable, bold, and then I would say, in the Mass, this is my body broken for you. Blessedness comes through brokenness. And you just experienced your nature of blessedness coming through brokenness. You just connected the power of the Eucharist, not just as that thing on Sundays for an hour, you experienced His presence in you and the power of His grace flowing through brokenness. What if, what if Holy Trinity could be that kind of place? What if people were talking up the streets and in this region that that's a place where people get my brokenness, not as a thing to be avoided or hided or disguised, but that is the place where I understand I am never closer to God than in my brokenness. They celebrate this stuff. They celebrate it there. They are a community of believers of one heart and soul. With power, they give witness to the resurrection of Jesus. That's from Acts 4, 32 to 34. What if the Acts of the Apostles isn't just a historical account but a present description of the people of Holy Trinity Parish because they get this dynamic that they are called to become a holy community that corresponds to Holy Communion. And it requires what? Risk. Trust. Brokenness. Setting aside the time. Now if in a short snapshot the Holy Spirit worked through my meager words to open your mind and your imagination, even just a glimpse, I want you to understand that's what God desires in the heart of heart of your marriage, in the heart and heart of your family. It will not just happen. The Lucifer cake of the world is being presented to your kids and me, and often it's fine. It's sports, good thing. Like kids love sports, drama, great things. Are we taking time to have that intimate encounter with our spouses, with our families? Are we taking our time to experience that grace? Because in that example of sharing with one another, if we get that in the human world, it's a bit of an insight to the nature of prayer with God, that intimacy with our Father. It's a game-changer. It's what he fashioned us for it's what he desires blessedness in the brokenness overflowing to the world Pope Benedict said the heart of ritual and religion is relationship it's a powerful insight his Jesus of Nazareth trilogy his books brilliant scholar Pope Benedict religion is awesome ritual is awesome but the heart of them is relationship, the likes of which we just experienced. I might put it another way. The degree to which our relationship is deepened with God is the degree to which our religion and ritual are authentic and true. John Paul II said, The ultimate drama of humanity is alienation versus participation.
1: So as we look to this plan for what it takes, or as we talked about yesterday, do we know where we're going? If you could imagine the image of a chain with the different links in it, because it's all connected. We need to prioritize this walk of relationship. And I know you're a bright crowd. What is the first link in that chain, myself with? with God which again no-brainer and then wherever we're called in life if we're married our spouse or whoever else we are responsible to or for our family our community our parish and they kind of go from there depending upon where we are called in life but if you can keep that image in your mind If that link, especially that top one, is not there, everything else falls. They're connected with that top one, being the top one for a reason. And so I propose to you that first link of personal relationship with God. It's easy to say, but are we willing to have the plan to do it? How many of us wouldn't like to lose weight, or to become more fit, or to learn an instrument, but we know if we really mean it, we need to do something about it. We can't just say it or have these great desires, but we need to make it happen. So there there are weeks and weeks and weeks and hundreds of thousands of CDs and talks and whatever that could fill that time but I propose to you just one simple thing, one simple challenge for this parish mission, and that is to truly, for real, commit to personal prayer time each day, making it a priority, claiming it, saying, I do want to become a saint, I do want to be holy, I do want to make a difference, I do want to grow in relationship with you, Lord Jesus. And I will make the time. Have a plan, whether it's getting up early or taking some time during lunch or whatever it is. Prayer time, if we are serious about being Christian, is not just a luxury. It's a necessity. It's a necessity And what's crazy is sometimes we get in the mindset that we're doing God the favor by carving out this time when he is the one who is always waiting, always wanting to pour forth his goodness and grace, always desiring that connection. If you followed Mother Teresa at all, in particular during her canonization stuff, if you will, her her motto of sorts for her community and in all the chapels of the missionaries of charity is a simple two phrase two word phrase next to every crucifix which just simply said i thirst and she has a beautiful reflection of those words of our lord thirsting for you and me thirsting for souls do we know our value as a son or daughter of God? Do we know to whom we belong? To come before our almighty God in prayer, making that time, pulling out scripture, becoming just saturated with the word. He desires to speak to us through that. Confession, scripture, service, on and on, we keep, it flows from there. But again, first and foremost, I don't care if it's five minutes or five extra minutes or however long you can commit to and grow from there. Just do it. So personal. And then after that, if you are married, praying with your spouse, so important, so foundational, or in a community of believers, that connection, your family, John Paul II challenges us. I just love his words. He says, the ways of holiness are many according to the vocation of each individual. The time has come to repropose wholeheartedly to everyone this high standard of ordinary Christian living. The whole life of the Christian community and of Christian families must lead in this direction. Are we taking time as a family to pray together, to have those meaningful conversations, to make sure that link is clicked in well? Are we devoted to that? And then it flows into parish life. You guys are so blessed here at Holy Trinity with this beautiful church, your beautiful community. I don't know if I want to call Father Mike beautiful, but he's beautiful. You're beautiful, Pastor. What a blessing. We have a phenomenal bishop. We are Catholic. We need to claim it. We have the Eucharist. We have the sacraments. Again, let's get in the game as a community and see the difference that it makes. But with family too, when you guys get into the car together, take time to pray. Little simple things like that. When you're watching the news or reading the newspaper, someone comes into your life with some struggles. Instead of just complaining or grumping or being like oh isn't that sad how about whether again if it's with a friend or your spouse or your children let's take a moment and pray. So one thing that many of you are familiar with something that we have made part of our mission of Image Trinity is the Live It gathering guide. So if you have your little booklets if you will. Exhibit A. So it's, if you haven't caught on, is Image Trinity. We are called to image the Trinity. So this guide can be used as a family, as a couple, as a small group. It's very versatile. You can make it your own. But one thing that we encourage people to start out with are these fun questions. It kind of breaks the ice a little bit, et cetera. Okay, without looking, now that I told you to open it up, you can close it a second. And Paul, give me a number, 1 to 50. 17. One of my greatest challenges is traveling. Okay. If I could create any movie, it would be about?
0: Marital love.
1: uh, Would it be a drama or a comedy or sci-fi or?
0: (laughs) So that was a little taste of the family fun questions. And if you did nothing else in the next 24 hours, take 10 minutes. Try it. If you're all gathered together just with your spouse or a group, by the way, there is a family edition and a group edition. We have folks doing this throughout the diocese. We have men's groups basing it on this. We have women's groups. We have families. It's very versatile. Our kids have been leading on a weekly basis, a live group, almost on a weekly basis for a year. Teens can lead this. And it is such a blessing to them that they drew on up to 35 people. And you notice three simple rules just real quickly. Number one, love. You just tell them, and it's good to read this aloud to your family, and we know we have to enforce it. Respect others. Don't interrupt. Listen with real interest and care. Encourage. That alone, quite frankly, is a great message for parents, right? What if we could get our kids just that first rule? Listen to one another. Don't interrupt. Secondly, environment, very key, and it's key to prayer. Are we seeing our environments for success? Turn the phones off, set the devices aside, TV off, radio off, light a candle. That's what that candle is for. Light that candle. And three is very key. Make it your own. If you get talking about something meaningful and it opens the door to that intimacy experience I talked about, let it flow. Let the Holy Spirit move that. So, Stephanie ran through some of the family fun questions in here. I just want to point out the daily questions. These are things that we found some of the groups that were forming throughout the diocese do this almost on a daily basis over lunch or over supper, these daily questions. What does this do when you do this in a family? Number one, it causes the rest of the family members to have mercy. Your teenagers understand maybe why you as a dad are a little bit heavy-handed or why you're impatient or why you're tired because they're going to hear you say, hey, guys, the challenge for me is I'm just really struggling with some things at work. I'm feeling a lot of pressure. I'm worried about bills. Man, it's a challenge. And they may hear, uh, dad may hear his teenagers say, well, if I'm going to be honest, you know, kids are picking on me. I feel left out. I'm struggling with the grade in school. It fosters mercy. We begin to hear each other's hearts, and it causes that tolerance, that magnanimity, that mercy. It does a second thing. It causes us to be supportive and encouraging and prayerful for them. My kids started praying for me. Who doesn't want their kids and their family praying for them? When you share candidly about a challenge in your life, they're in the game. Same with them. When you share a victory, you're sharing them together. And the cool thing is, as you do this more regularly, well, what happens? You're talking about your vices. You're talking about your challenges. And you're supporting each other. I'm aware that I'm going to be sharing a victory or a challenge tomorrow, the next day, the next day. Well, guess what starts to happen? It starts to become an incubator. Those those relationships become an occasion, a saint-making machine. It becomes an occasion to become saints. A small community alive in God's grace. And these are just two of the five questions. So they are together. Something you're grateful for, a recent victory, a challenge, an affirmation, a gratitude, something meaningful going on in your life. God wants to give you, I can't say this strong enough, all the wonderful things Stephanie said. God wants to reveal himself in our relationships. We will do this because we're going to experience transformation, experience strength, we're going to experience apology, forgiveness, mercy. We're going to experience overcoming vice and becoming virtuous which is the design and purpose of marriage. It's the design and purpose of family. And imagine if we're all doing that, we're lighting that candle, you get the image of the way this is all set up. You light the candle when you're talking and praying or doing daily questions. And then when you come to Ignite, you see not just the generic, hey, take the rental candle and bring it up, but the burning bush is lit up with a visual image of families on fire and growing in faith. Are we perfect? No. No. we're getting it. We're getting that God's grace is overflowing in our lives. We're praying personally. Men have a common language and women have a common language to say, how's your prayer life going? What can I pray for you for? In fact, that ought to be a challenge. Like if Father Mike, I'm sure he's probably done that kind of thing. If he said, I want you folks in the next week, the first time you approach anybody in this parish, I want you to say one thing. What can I pray for you for? Or how's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? How's your daily prayer life going? If you know that a parishioner is going to ask you that question next time they see you, what do you think that's going to do? I'm going to get asked by a parishioner how my prayer life is going if I prayed this morning. But it's that kind of dynamic that God wants to get us past the debris, the stuff, the junk, and be an occasion of a community of believers alive in the Holy Spirit. So the readings... If you look at the guide, we've got the fun questions. We've got the daily questions. We always begin with apologies. If we've been to our house, we do it in front of strangers. Before we even begin prayer, we say, okay, guys, apologies. It's a little weird and uncomfortable if if you do it the first time. By the second, third, fourth, they look forward to it. The family goes around, and people say who they need to apologize for. It clears the debris out of the way so that when we say, forgive us our sins as we forgive those in the Our Father, It's not just a ritual. It's it's living, breathing prayer. Um, We've got a little video that we kick out every week, try to um, focus on one challenge. And then we have these number four. We've got the readings from Mass. And hopefully you'll do the fun questions and the daily questions, but I want to say if you do nothing else, find a time the next week to read the gospel. Just read the gospel. Proclaim it. So I'm going to do this real quickly. This coming Sunday, as Jesus continued his journey to Jerusalem, he traveled through Samaria and Galilee. And he was entering a village. Ten lepers met him. They stood at a distance from him and raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. As they were going, they were cleansed. And one of them, realizing he had been healed, returned. Let me back up. And one of them, realizing he had been healed, returned, glorifying God in a loud voice, and he fell at the feet of Jesus and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. Translation to the hearers of the time, a half-breed, an outcast, not one of the faithful. He was a Samaritan. Jesus said in reply, Ten were cleansed, were they not? Where are the other nine? Has none but this foreigner returned to give thanks to God? Then he said to him, Stand up and go, your faith has saved you. So every reading has the first question is the same. What struck you in this reading challenged you, inspired you. What questions did it raise? What if in the next four days, this parish community, you just reflected on these questions, and when you saw each other, hey, that reading they read about the ten lepers, what hit you? What challenged you? You don't need us leaders to kind of set the stage. I encourage you as you see each other, hey, what struck you? What's that doing for you? Is it making a difference in your life? The second question is always one that means to challenge us personally. In this case... What has God done in your life? How and where are you giving testimony? Again, like that one leper, right? What difference might it make if you gave greater testimony to what God has done? Do it. And I might ask you as we look at that reading, and the goal of this is, are we living the gospel? Are we striving? We're far from it. We have fears and concerns and all the stuff that are barriers but are we willing to say, Lord, may, I, may we become a holy community, corresponding to holy communion? Are we radiating as a community the gift that God gives us in our testimony? So the this, question number two is always for us. The third one is even more difficult for Catholics because it's the overflow question. If we're anointed by God, if he does something with us, if he heals us, if he transforms us, it ought to be the kind of thing that overflows, that we can't help but share. We can't help but be instruments of his grace. And this question in particular, who is someone you might help give greater testimony to what God has done in his or her life? That should just be second nature to an evangelizing community. We're going to talk more about that tomorrow. And it ought to be more than just an ethical thing. It ought to be, God, I've experienced your... You're transforming life. I'm one of those ten leopards, and I want to give testimony and witness to that. But there ought to be a second thing of, gosh, I got a brother, sister, friend, spouse who's got a great story. I need to encourage that. Finally, and if we had time, we would do this and you discover the power of this. In a small group or a family, you go around and every person would get hear from every other person. In this case, share with each person how he, she has helped you give testimony to God's work in your life. I'll repeat that again. In this case, in a small group or family, you'd go around and share with each person how he, she has helped you give testimony to God's work in your life. Encourage them. How awesome. In our case, a family of eight, I get seven encouragements. I get to hear my six kids, five of whom are now teens, tell me how awesome I am. Which parent doesn't want that? It's a really cool thing. You're affirmed. You're encouraged. They see good things in you, and you you get to do the same for them. And so every reading, we have these four main components, and I just invite you again in your mind's eye to think, this is the purpose God called us to. Everything else is secondary. It's meant to open up that door to God's grace alive in our relationships, that we want to do it. And when you do it with your kids or spouse or friends or group, if you want to receive that grace, if you want to just God can really do with you, that you'll be different and experience that a month down the road, liveitchallenge.eventbrite.com. The Live It Challenge is an invitation for you, whether you do it as a family or as a small group. A small group, pull together three people and say, can, let's find a regular time during the week for one hour. I want to tell you about this thing. We're going to gather and do this thing. It makes a difference. It's a game changer. Do it every week for seven weeks, and your kids will be the parents. They will be the ones, if you miss it, to say, hey, we've got to do that thing. Sometimes it's in the car. It's on the way. Uh, it's a 30-minute drive or a 60-minute drive somewhere. That's fine. Walt, I'm going to give you 30 seconds, put you on the spot. You took the initiative. You didn't have any training in this, no formation. You just said, dude, I've just have been hearing about this. I finally got to get in the game and do it, and you did it with some parishioners here. Just share with the community. He didn't plan on this, Just share with us how that went.
2: Uh, Well, we went with low-bearing fruit. Um, In terms of people we really thought that would say yes. I prayed for all four of the husbands for two weeks before I asked them every day that they would be open to it. And um, I called all four, and all four didn't even ask the wives. They said yes. So they probably got crap for it later, right? But it was... um, for those of you who have been in a, in a family setting or, or, or a, a friendship setting where you don't really know each other, but you share faith, all it takes is one person to dive deep and they become deeper friends than you ever had in your life. And uh, so there's no doubt in my mind that I became very close um, with all four of those families um, in just seven weeks. So I enjoyed it very much
0: have a hand for Walt, taking the initiative. The kids are gonna be here in a moment and we're gonna shift, but again, so the two-fold are the front and the back. The front is to make the Live It Challenge. Go there, sign up. If it's your family, find those days and schedule them. It's more important than volleyball or soccer or track or all the things we put on our calendar that have importance, This is the most important thing. We use the phrase, put the flag in the sand and discover the gift God wants to give you, truly. So Stephanie challenged you with personal prayer. This is like right there. It overflows into a 60-minute time during the week. Follow the guide. Call me. Call anybody who's done this if you need some encouragement, but it really is kind of self-explanatory. And just finally, light your candle. Maybe you forgot to bring your candles tonight. Um, Light your candle, and that's the whole idea. You bring that candle to ignite... And you unite with all the other families, and it will overflow. Again, we'll talk about overflow tomorrow night, but you kind of get a sense of God's design and purpose for you and your marriage and family in this parish.
1: Just really quickly, if this is overwhelming to you, that's an okay thing. (laughs) But one of the rules, if you saw in that first sheet or first page of the booklet, is make it your own. You don't have to do every single line in here. You know, pick and choose. You don't even have to do the one hour at a time. Do it in 30-minute increments or 15 or however it works best for you, your small group, your family. You know, even if it's one-on-one with the best friend or a spouse who hopefully is your best friend. But just, like, don't be overwhelmed by it. Just pray for the grace to be open to what the Lord desires you to give, to give to you through it. So give it a shot.
0: In a moment, we're going to transition into Ignite. So as we're uh, transitioning, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Come on in, guys. Come on in. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time we've spent together. Lord, give us the courage to have confidence that if we take this step, you will sustain us. Give us the conviction to make this time, God, in the seven weeks that follow. Awaken us, God, to the power that you want to manifest in us and through us to this entire community. And Lord, as we come before you tonight in the Holy Eucharist, we know we cannot do it like Moses. He could not do it. Help us to come before you, Lord, honestly with that petition of, Lord, strengthen me. Convict me. Convict us together, Lord, to uh, put that flag in the sand. We love you, Jesus. Open our hearts all the wider tonight. We ask this in your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, Join me in uh, just raising a hand to Karen here who's going to be sharing with us, a wonderful parishioner here, sharing with us a little testimonial that kind of captures in her own life um, the empty and fill um, and the blessing. So dear Lord, we thank you for Karen. We thank you for her heart. We thank you for her testimony. We thank you for her witness. We thank you for her yes. Just dispel if there are any nerves, anything that stands in the way, Lord, and open our hearts, God, to hear through her story that she's going to share with us, to hear her speak to us, to hear you speak to us through her. Thank you for her, Lord, and we ask this in your name through Christ our Lord. Amen.
3: I'm Karen. Um, my husband, John, there. Um, I grew up in a really close-knit family. There were six kids. We had an uncle that lived with us. Um, we were really close, so close that John, when he first met, a, met me, and met my family was a little uncomfortable. He wasn't raised in a family like that. So um, the first time he met my mom, she gave him a great big bear hug and lifted him, and he's a big guy, off the ground um, and kind of startled him. And that that was the first impression that he had of our family. And we're very, very close. And as a close family, we talk every day. Sometimes multiple times a day and for someone who doesn't understand that that might be a little bit difficult, too But anyway, we're really really close and that's kind of where my story begins My sister Mary um, was dating a man That no, none of us felt was best for her she had been divorced um, And she was dating this guy and they were on their way to his brother's wedding and they were driving on the Pennsylvania turnpike And while they were driving, he proposed to her. And Mary, since she had been divorced, and she was a little skittish, and she knew how we all felt, and she told him that she wasn't ready to remarry. And he became irate um, and said that if he couldn't have her, that no one would have her. And so he sped at estimated 90 miles an hour on the turnpike and drove straight into the back end of a semi. They ricocheted off, hit another semi, the top of the car was severed and she flew out into a ravine along the um, roadside and he flew out into oncoming traffic and was run over by a third semi. Um, she was in an IC unit in Pennsylvania for a week and it was before we all had cell phones and all of those things so she had her purse with her that had her address and whatever but. She lived alone. She didn't have anything that identified family members, and so it was a week before they could contact us to let us know that she was in there and her condition and all of that. And of course, we packed up in the middle of the night with our um, two kids, I was pregnant at the time, and drove to Pennsylvania um, to be with her. She's traumatic brain injured, um, probably, I'm going to say, a second grade level at best. Um, she suffered a broken neck, back injuries, and a crushed pelvis. So her accident brought about a lot of ugly feelings for me. I was mad at her for putting herself, putting herself in a situation where she could be hurt. We didn't like the guy. You knew we didn't like the guy. Why were you with him? Why did you agree to go to a wedding in another state? I was mad at her. Um, I was mad at him for obvious reasons. Could not get over the fact that someone would do something so awful. Could not get over it. And that anger kind of seeps down into you. And because it did that, I found that I didn't have patience for her. And I'm a special ed teacher. For those of you that don't know that I deal with special ed kids. And I didn't have patience for my own sister. Um, And even when she needed me more than ever. Um, I didn't have patience for my other family members either. Because they were... Counting on me because I was the special ed teacher, and all of those feelings kind of built up in me, and I didn't really share them with anybody. I never shared them with John. I didn't share them with with my family members. I was just kind of kind of angry and bitter about all of it. So it got to be about Christmas time, and this is almost a year later, and it was time to. Uh, it's that time of year when penance is offered more often, and being a, Raised Catholic and whatever, what do you do? You go to penance always before Christmas and Easter, and then other times, you know, as, as your heart desires. But it's about Christmas time, so I'm going to go to penance because that's what a good Catholic does. And I really thought when I got in there, I was just going to do my litany of, you know, bless me, Father, here's my list of sins kind of thing. And I got in there, and I, I don't know what happened, but I just... The floodgates opened, and I gave a true confession. And Father was absolutely wonderful. He sat there. He listened. He accepted my flaws. He was patient. He forgave me. And in that forgiveness, I found that I could forgive others. And I walked out of that church, and I didn't, and what an ugly word, but I didn't hate her boyfriend anymore because I really think I kind of did. But I, I didn't, and I don't now. And I wasn't mad at my sister anymore. All of that was forgiven. So in that, I emptied. And I became full because I was given patience. And I've always been kind of a patient person, but I think now um, God has filled me and forgiven me so much that it's, it's a gift for me. Um, My compassion is is part of everything in my life, everything that I do. So I told you that I'm a special ed teacher and I work with really, really tough kids. I worked with high school students who were drug addicted, had criminal records, um, horrible, horrible lives. Right now I work with younger children, they're poor families, they have really tough struggles. Um, They may have drug and alcohol addiction in their family. I had a student who was born addicted. Um, Mental illness in the family, mental illness with the children. The list is really endless. They're kind of the kids that society throws away. And when things get crazy with my students, I reflect on my gift. When they're having a hard time, I Think about the gift that I was given, the forgiveness and the patience and the compassion that God has filled me with, and I work even harder to make a difference in their lives. So even though they do things, and they do, um, it's part of mental illness, it's part of those things. Sometimes and you may have people in your life, that, life like that too, they do the things on purpose because they want to get your goat, they want to make you upset, they want to see you react. And my students do that, and my own kids do it sometimes, too. And I let them know that that's okay. That nothing they do, nothing they ever do, will make me not love them. That I am filled with love and compassion for them. And they are a blessing to me. My sister is a blessing to me. And so I've gone from being empty to being filled. Thank you.
0: Going to sing a song that is ancient. It means, Come Holy Spirit. The Latin is Veni Sancti Spiritus. Veni Sancti Spiritus. Sing that with us. We proclaim you tonight, Jesus. We declare you as Lord because you are. Lord, through you and by the blood and the cross, we are no longer victims, but victorious, Jesus. And you simply ask us to claim you in our lives, to receive you in our lives, God, and we do tonight. Certainly with our words and in our hearts, hear us speak to you. Have victory over me, Jesus. Have victory over our minds. Have victory over our hearts. Have victory in our relationships, God. Have victory over our memories. Have victory over our sin. Lord, claim us this moment, this night. We are yours, Jesus. Deliver us from the the fears, from the reservation, from the mediocrity, God, from the doubt that keeps us constrained, that keeps us from proclaiming you with the same joy and enthusiasm we might for a football team or anything else going on. Tonight, we proclaim you as Lord. You fashioned us, God, to give you praise with the psalmist, Lord God. You fashioned us with all that we have to lift you up in worship, that every aspect of our lives, God, might be worship. You are a good, good Father. And we thank you, God, for what you've done, for what you're doing, what you promised to do. Free us, God, from our fears. Deliver us from our reservations. Deliver us, Lord God, from anything that keeps us from being the people you call us to be. We praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We love you.